Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Voice of the Church. I'm Pastor Ryan Swale, and in uh, recent weeks have done some meditations on the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon, which is a, a song right in the middle of our Bibles, uh, that the church has historically understood uh, as you know, the soundtrack of redemption. I'm singing heaven's song of Christ, who comes to receive a bride for himself. That's how the, the church has historically understood the Song of Songs, as, as ultimately being about Jesus. And one of the interesting supports for that interpretation is the way that the New Testament alludes to the Song of Songs with reference to Christ. One of those places is at the anointing of Christ by Mary of Bethany in uh, Matthew chapter 26, which I'll, I'll read now. It says that when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for my burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I had the privilege of preaching this passage about a year ago for our daughter's baptism. I was preaching through Matthew's gospel and had just come out of some of these passages like Matthew 22 And Matthew 25, where Christ tells these parables of a wedding feast and uh, of the the ten virgin bridesmaids, both of which identify him as the bridegroom. Uh, The same thing that he calls himself in Matthew chapter 9 when he says, The wedding guests cannot mourn while the bridegroom is with them. And so Matthew has been hinting at this bridegroom theme throughout his gospel, and especially in the chapters leading up to his death in in chapter 22 and chapter 25. And in chapter 26, we we find this passage that that has some striking parallels with Song of Songs chapter 1. Where in Song of Songs chapter 1, the bride-to-be says, While the king was at his table, my nard gave forth its fragrance. Um, Interestingly, John in John 12 identifies Mary's ointment as nard, the the same thing that's spoken of in Song of Songs 1 and says that its fragrance filled the house. It seems to be a, a direct allusion to the Song of Songs confirming that Christ is indeed the bridegroom of that song. And as I preached this at the baptism of our daughter, I made the point that Mary's actions signal what the church and every believer ought to do in response to this bridegroom. The church father, Bede, said of Matthew 26, here is accomplished what the bride glories of in the Song of Songs. 
showing that what Mary did as a type, the whole church and every perfect soul should always do. And he's saying Mary's actions signal that the royal bridegroom has come and give us a pattern for how we as the church and we as individual members of Christ's bride should love him. We see in this passage the bride's love for Christ. And we see also Christ's love for the bride. We're not saying that Mary is married to Christ, but the allusion in verse 7 to the Song of Songs signals that Christ is the bridegroom. Matthew has been making that point in chapter 9, in chapter 22, and 25, and Mary gets it. She recognizes that Christ is the bridegroom of the song and acts accordingly. And as she, she responds then, we, we see a love that is unprompted. And Christ is in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, likely a former leper whom Christ has healed. John 12 says that Lazarus is there too. And so this is a, a feast of gratitude held by recipients of Christ's grace. The whole thing is unprompted. But then in verse 7, a woman who we, we know from the other Gospels is Mary, comes with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment and she pours it on his head. This is unprompted. It is not necessary for her to do this, but out of gratitude, she voluntarily performs this act of devotion to Christ. And even as it's unprompted, it's also unrestrained. Um, John says it was a whole pound of perfume. Mark says that she actually breaks it as she pours it over him. She holds nothing back. She doesn't just dip a little bit or, or carefully ration a small amount, but gives it all. It is unprompted unrestrained, and unbelievably costly. Notice that word expensive in verse 7. In fact, it says very expensive. Having an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, she poured it on his head. And Matthew says the disciples are indignant because they know what could have been done with it. The other gospels tell us it cost a year's wages. It was a full pound of pure nard. That means extracted from the nard plant in the Himalayas in northern India. So this perfume had to be imported. A spike nard of it was considered the foremost of perfumes. It is the best of the best. And she pours it out on Christ. This oil from a far country, she pours on her Savior. She breaks it and holds nothing back. Can you imagine a whole year's wages? spent on on just showing someone your love for them. John Stott calls this a gesture of lavish, almost reckless devotion. Christ calls it beautiful. He says she has done a beautiful thing, unprompted, unrestrained, and unbelievably costly. Just as Christ told Martha in Luke 10, Mary has chosen the better thing that will not be taken from her. He says the same thing here. In fact, this is almost a kind of retelling of the Mary and Martha story. Remember how Martha criticized Mary and asked Jesus to tell her to serve. But he says, by sitting at my feet to hear my word, she has chosen the better thing. And here the disciples have a similar accusation. Why is she wasting her resources in such lavish devotion to Christ when there are poor to be fed? But Christ says she's done a beautiful work. She's chosen the better thing. The poor will always be with you, but you will not always have me. She's chosen the better thing. 
We are warned by Mary's example not to ignore the value of a life spent in meditation on God. A life spent adoring Christ. That's why she holds nothing back. That's why this unprompted act of devotion. That's why this costly act of devotion. Because ever since Luke 10, she has been sitting at Christ's feet, soaking him in. So holds nothing back, having beheld the king in his beauty. Having looked into the eyes of Christ and come to know him. And so she says with the bride in the Song of Songs, Behold, you are handsome, my love. We see in this act of of devotion, Mary's affection for Christ. We see in this act of devotion, her her gratitude to Christ. And and we see in it her submission to Christ as king. That's what the Song of Songs said. It was the king at his table who would be anointed. By her unprompted, unrestrained, and unbelievably costly act of devotion, she shows her love for the king. And the disciples don't understand it because they don't understand, as one writer said, that the native language of love is lavishness. And so they criticize her. And this same temptation remains for all of us to measure devotion to Christ simply by getting things done. As if time spent in prayer, as if time spent in meditation and grateful reflection on God and all that he's done for us is wasted. To think this sort of devotion is reckless. But Christ says it's the better thing. She has rightly estimated the value of the bridegroom. Unlike Judas, whose, whose criticism shows he places too low a value on Christ. Which is why just after this, he, he sells him for 30 pieces of silver. Mary uh, concludes that a year's wages is worth one moment of worship. Judas says three months' wages is worth his life. The difference between a genuine bride and a gold digger. We see in this passage the bride's love for Christ. But notice also Christ's love for the bride. As this passage is sandwiched between the announcement of Christ's looming death and the chief priest's plot to kill him in verses 1 to 5 and Judas' act of treason in verses 14 to 16. On both sides of the bride's love for Christ is Christ's love for the bride. Which is why he says in verse 12 that Mary's anointing prepares him for burial. Christ knows what's coming. He is going to the cross willingly. So just as Mary's love was unprompted, unrestrained, and unbelievably costly, we see the same thing with Christ. His love for us is unprompted and voluntary. There's nothing in us that deserves it. It's unrestrained. Just as Mary holds nothing back, neither does Christ, even unto death. And just as her love is unbelievably costly, uh, so we confess in the canons of Dort, Christ's death is of infinite value and worth. Christ is worth more than 10,000 worlds. In fact, Mary had only begun to scratch the surface of his value. The Passover sacrifice that he is bringing to Jerusalem for the sake of his bride is the most valuable sacrifice ever made. As the hymn says, with his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. This is the royal bridegroom of Song of Songs 1, the king who has now become the priest, come to lay down his life for his bride. 
He leaves heaven to seek her out in fulfillment of God's plan from eternity, giving himself for her that he might cleanse her. That he might say to her, as the king says to his bride in Song of Songs 1, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. And do we not see that that love that Christ has for his bride in verse 10, where Christ defends her against the disciples' false accusations? It says, Why do you trouble the woman? That he cherishes her, saying she has done a beautiful thing which will be proclaimed throughout all the earth. Even as the smell of nard filled the house, it will fill the earth, becoming a sweet aroma unto heaven. This is how Christ receives our heartfelt, costly, and unrestrained worship with joy. And as I preached this on the occasion of our daughter's baptism, I made the point that this is our prayer for her that God would fill her with a desire to worship the bridegroom in such a way that, that, that he, her praises ascend like a sweet aroma unto heaven, that she would be given eyes to gaze on the king in his beauty, that she would be given ears to listen to him as Mary does, and then respond in devotion. That's my prayer for our daughter, and that is my prayer for you who are listening, that you too would behold the love of Christ, the bridegroom from heaven, and would respond in unprompted, unrestrained, and unbelievably costly love, for that is how Christ loves. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.